1368, running until 1644, China experienced a long, stable, prosperous run in what is known as the Ming Dynasty. It's described as one of the greatest eras of orderly government and social stability in human history. It lasted for 276 years. The vast majority of the Great Wall of China was built during this time. What is it, the the forbidden city in the square rose uh, up during this time. But... As happened to this dynasty, drought, locusts, then cold, then a financial crisis that gave rise to ethnic turmoil brought the Ming dynasty to a conclusion. The dynasty fell. What once seemed invincible for so long of a run was completely turned around. Now, I thought of the Ming Dynasty this week when I was pondering this passage in Romans chapter 5 and the dynasty of death that has reigned for so long. The longest running human dynasty ever, up to this point, is death. One could strongly argue that the vestiges of death's reign remain unto today. Oh, but the life and death and resurrection of Jesus has changed all of that. Think of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. As in Adam, all die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. If there's one tyrannical dynasty from which we want to be delivered, is it not the dynasty and the tyranny of death and the terminal nature of our mortality. Jesus Christ has changed all of that for humanity. Do we celebrate the life-giving, the eternal life-giving glory of knowing Jesus Christ? Christ has established a new dynasty Out with the old, death reigning. In with the new, grace and life reigning. That's what Jesus has brought about. Grace now reigns supreme with the hope of eternal life. What a Savior. Do we live like that is true? Come to Romans chapter 5 with me today. Let's consider verses 12 through 21. I'm going to go three different directions this morning. First, I'm going to state a central assertion. This is not rocket science. Death has had a good, long run. A dominating reign of influence over humanity. But secondly, Jesus Christ and the grace of God disrupted that reign and overthrew it. And thirdly then, the third direction we'll go is to ponder then the implications. What are the implications of a new regime of the grace of God reigning over humanity, offering eternal 
life. That's where we're going this morning. Let me read it to you. I want to tell you that this is the heart of the book of Romans. It's a wonderful passage. It's not the easiest passage to read. Have you ever read a passage of Scripture? You get up one morning, I'm I'm going to read the Bible. You open, you take flight reading Romans chapter 5, and you say to yourself, huh? What is being said? I love the Apostle Paul, and, and he was trained in rabbinic studies, how his mind works, shows up in the text. And he cogently argues with deduction and ideas that in places are very easy to follow. I love it. I love to work with the text of the Apostle Paul. This is not one of those easy passages to follow. But it's worth digging in and I want to help you. And it's my privilege to read it to you this morning. Romans 5.12. Therefore, let me stop before I say that. Um, Listening to Paul in Romans chapter 5, according to my daughter, is like talking to her father. She says, Dad, you have popcorn brain. You will start one way in conversation, then make an immediate about face and introduce about four other things. Come back to the one and expect people listening to you to keep track of everything you've said. Maybe that just gave you some understanding in the preaching you've tried to listen to the last six years, you know. Look at verse 12. There's a hyphen if you have a good text. The end of verse 12 has a hyphen. Now if you look down to verse 18, that's where he picks up that thought that he has stopped in verse 12 to talk about a couple other things that are very important. So you read verse 12. You go down to verse 18. He's right on that thought again and he comes back to that. But what he says in between is really important, and we'll go through the whole thing. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Hyphen. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now we come back to the thought in verse 12. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. 
For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. This is worth wrestling to get our arms around. First, death had a good long run. No doubt about death having a distinguished career. That's quite a run. A dynasty indeed. I will have another funeral tomorrow. The Ming dynasty went until it didn't. So it is with death. Jesus Christ changed everything. That's Paul's point here. Now let's think in two different directions about death. First, death was undefeated before the law was ever given. You say, Eric, what in the world is he talking about in verses 13 and 14? He's saying that death was undefeated before the law was ever given. This is one of those passages again. Huh? I I don't get that. What's here? Adam directly disobeyed a commandment of God. Adam, eat of every tree in the garden, but the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of that one. He had a direct commandment of God given to him. He disobeyed. In that sense, people who lived after Adam, made in the image of God, the law of God written on their hearts, they had an innate sense of sin but were, uh, of what ought to be, but were not given a direct command of God. In fact, the law doesn't come till Moses shows up generation after generations later at Mount Sinai. So people who lived after Adam disobeyed God and sinned, but not in the way that Adam did because Adam disobeyed a direct commandment of God They, though not given a direct command of God, had the law of God written on their hearts. They sinned also and experienced as a result of sin, death. So even before the law, death came to those who sinned against God and experienced the curse. That's what's going on in 5, 12, and 13. Death was undefeated before the law was ever given. Remember the law's purpose. The law came to point out sin. Remember, and we're going to get to it. Yeah, I think it's Romans 7. Paul says, you know, I didn't even know that there was a thing called covetousness till I read that command, do not covet. And when I read that command, here's what he says. I discovered all manner of covetousness in my own heart. The law points out sin and brings us to the need of grace, which we welcome in Jesus Christ. Death was a well-established, harsh consequence of sin For all sinned even before the law. Notice that phrase that ends verse 12, because all sinned. He's talking about what happened in the interim before the law was ever given, where it pointed out sin for the people. They sinned and experienced condemnation in death. Now, the second direction we need to think is this. The law gave us the logic to understand why death is so dominant. The law and its ability to point out our sin gave us a reason why death dominates. Death has had a long, great run because of our long, great run at sinning. Mortality rates are what they are, and they're terrible. Everyone who lives dies. Wasn't it this week? The oldest 
gal, the oldest person in America, died this week. It was 115 years old. And uh, now the uh, person that's 114 is first place for a moment. Uh, we all die. We know that. Now, the implication is this. The Bible has a clear explanation for why life is like it is in a broken world. It's not all shucks. They died. Let me give you a hug. By the way, I love hugs, and it's a wonderful thing. But in Jesus Christ, there's something much more substantial than a hug. There's an explanation for why death is, and God brought Jesus to overcome this scourge that came to humanity. One of the many glories of Christianity is that death does not get the last word. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Now, if the dominating reign, that's going to be an important verb here. It's in verse 14, death reign. Verse 17, death reign. Verse 21, grace reigns. The throne has been switched out. No longer is death reigning. Grace is reigning. That sounds to me like a much better rule under which to live. Grace reigning. Grace dethroned death's rule when Jesus came. Look at verses 15, 16, and 17. Oh, the glory of God becoming man. Let me reread it to you. But the free gift, don't miss that exchange. The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more, I love that, much more, have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more. Again, twice repeated. Verse 17. Verse 15. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Hear the word of the Lord. Now there are two expressions of this glorious dethroning of death and enthroning of grace in life. Christ's obedience rectified the wrong Adam did in his disobedience. Adam made choices. Christ offered that perfect life. Cranfield has said this, that the one single misdeed should be answered by judgment. This is perfectly understandable. That the accumulated sins and guilt of all the ages should be answered by God's free gift. This is the miracle of all Miracles, end of quote. The perfections of Jesus' life with his God-satisfying sacrifice in his death changed everything. Those who study the history of professional basketball note two eras, really. There was the era of understanding the game before Bill Russell and the era of understanding professional basketball after Bill Russell. All that Bill Russell ever did was win championships. High school, college at the University of San Francisco, and with the Boston Celtics from 1957 to 1969. Russell wins 11 NBA basketball championships. You say, well, why did they win so much? Because of that one dominating figure who changed everything in the league. So those who look at it, you know, it's like, before Russell and then after Russell. 
for humanity. There is before Jesus Christ came, before Bethlehem, and there is after Easter. (laughs) And it's two different eras for humanity. One era dominated singularly by the dynasty of death. A brand new era that's opened up the possibility in the reign of his grace, of the reign of eternal life. What a savior. Christ's obedience rectified the wrong Adam did in his disobedience. Now the second expression of that glorious dethronement is this. The superabounding grace brings believers to the free gift of righteousness. Look at verse 17. I love those two terms. Much more. Eric, what do we get when we open our hearts to Jesus? Well, let's just start here. We get much more. In a cogent expression, it really captures what is here. We receive, verse 17, the abundance of grace. Remember John 1:16? What do we get in Jesus? Grace upon grace. Love that. Sarah Edwards said, in the living Lord, we have infinite stacked on top of infinite upon infinite upon infinite. Let your mind wander there. What a glorious thought. Grace brings us the free gift of righteousness. What is God doing looking at Eric Mounts and seeing the perfections of Jesus? I know that's not me. If you're not convinced, ask Andy. She will tell you that's not me. Not the perfections of Jesus. But God would deign to do that in his grace, giving the free gift of a righteous standing in Christ. All the glory of knowing Jesus. It's not us. It's him. And this glorious one has dethroned death and brought this super abounding grace. The glory of the book of Romans is that we get this, and notice he says this twice, the free gift of righteousness. You know, I I, uh, just finished the bowl season. I guess we'll finish tomorrow night. But um, uh, I played football for a little while, not very long. My freshman year in high school, I laid out, I was an end, I laid out to catch a pass, and the whole uh, weight of my body fell on my little finger and it just tore my finger down off my hand and I was, you know, after I got up off the ground my fingers like you know I thought you know I don't think football is as good as I thought it was you know they put my finger back in then my hand hurt all my freshman year of basketball so I gave up I gave up football but I, 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 I would have wished to have gone on and played in college for the purpose of going to a bowl game and, and I'd want to go to a good bowl game you know not that, that you know hack bowl or whatever it is you know the I'd want to go to a good one because the higher up on the food chain at bowl games, the better the swag bag is for all the players. Just for being on the team. Just for going to the game. The committee puts together this extraordinary cache of stuff and they give a bag to each player. It comes as a free gift, as a part of just being around the whole experience. And It's freely given to everybody on the team. All the glory of being freely given the gift of righteousness. Being freely given in knowing Jesus. Perfect righteousness and forgiven sin and hope and freedom from guilt and a hope that we live with and a hope that we die with. Being given 
eternal life and experiencing that quality of life before we ever get to the point when our faith becomes sight. What a Savior. Freely given. You talk about a whole bag of stuff. What we get in Christ, as Peter describes, is all that we need for life and godliness. And cannot we add eternity? In Christ, we are freely given the kind of righteousness that God accepts. Wow. Now, grace wins and brings the new reign, death has been dethroned, of eternal life to all who believe. Jesus founded a dynastic movement. It is a new dynasty, and he invites whosoever will to come. Notice verse 20. This is a great verse. Greater grace eclipses the magnitude of our multiplied sin. Think of the old King James phrase, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. How can it get better than that? I got in a car with a guy one time, and I shut the door, and we took off, and he said, Eric, I was a great sinner. I was trying to figure out, what am I supposed to say now? I said, Dick, Jesus is a great Savior, and his grace is greater than your sin. That's how we started our visit that day. I will long remember it. I don't know if Romans 5.20 has sunk into you. If you're here this morning and you have a past that's imperfect, I do. My past imperfect is swallowed up in the glory of Jesus' sacrificial death for me. My guilt, my sin, I bear no more. Because he, in his sacrifice did away with that and gave me the freedom of being his son, a forgiven son brought into his family. Grace has endless possibilities. It's greater than our sin. Mel Trotter loved alcohol and indulgently became an alcoholic and ruined his life. He became so addicted to the substance that he would do anything to get the bottle. He went to a little girl's funeral. How he did it, I don't know. He reached into the casket and took her shoes off and sold them for alcohol. He got drunk on the substance that he bought, wanted to eat something, and went to the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago because he knew he could get something to eat. And before he ate, he heard about the grace of God, which is greater than all of our sin. And two things dawned upon him. One, the greatness of his sin. And two, the greater nature of God's grace and willingness to forgive. And he gave his life to Christ that night. Eight years later, Mel Trotter was ordained a Presbyterian evangelist. He lived out his days telling others about Jesus and founding 67 city missions across America in tribute to this Savior who loved him and gave himself for him.
In fact, if you go to Grand Rapids, Michigan, the city mission in Grand Rapids, Michigan is called the Mel Trotter Mission. You say, Eric, how do you explain that? You explain that by the prism of Romans 5.20. Where sin did abound, God's grace did much more abound. Now, the problem with using that illustration is some of you might say, hey, you know, I'll tell you what, Eric, I'm not an indulgent drunkard. So, you know, know, yeah, boy, Mel Trotter needed that. What's your sin of choice? And have you given it to Jesus Christ in confession and repentance and experienced what Paul's talking about where he said, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has God brought you here this morning to reckon with what's really true about your soul, and that is you're unacceptable to God because you do not have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which he's willing to freely give you this morning if you would but repent and believe. Be reconciled to Jesus Christ our Lord. Let the grace of God reign and swallow up your past as it has with mine that was imperfect. Now, grace then, finally, replaced the reign of death with the gift of the reign of life. This passage is brimful of life, grace reigning, sin dethroned, death defeated. As sin reigned in death, verse 21, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ Our Lord. Think of what we've been delivered from when we know Christ as our Savior. Hebrews 2.15 describes a circumstance of humanity that Jesus has delivered us from. And he delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The victory of Christ and the reign of righteousness brings us to eternal life. That's what verse 21 is talking about. Eternal life. I was soaking in verse 21 all week. And then got two texts right on top of each other on Friday while I was eating. A dear, dear friend whom I love. His wife went for an MRI Friday and having a few headaches. The doctor immediately called him and said, metastatic multiple brain tumors in your wife's head. Pressure going up. Get to Columbus right now. She's at the James this morning. A great threat cloud looms over this wonderful couple. But I thought of eternal life. Romans 5.21. And what we have in Jesus Christ as grace reigns. Not death reigning. Ask Barry true if it matters this morning that grace reigns. Grace reigns, Barry. Grace reigns. We have a great hope. We have a great hope. Does grace reign in your life? Is your life affected by the reign of grace? What reign dominates our thinking? Grace, law, guilt, sin, death, regret, or life? Eternal life. After our third child was born, our daughter, two boys and a girl, um, I start thinking, oh, good night. If I buy the farm, I'm going to maroon Andy. I better do something. If I kick the bucket, you know, there's three kids and my dear wife. What in the world? 
So I rang up an insurance guy, and I said, look, you got to help me. Uh, God's given us three kids, and if I die, I'm going to mess my wife up, her future. What should I do? And so he hooked me up with some, you know, uh, term life insurance policy set for the child-rearing years. I had one feeling and one set of anxieties before I signed my name and started paying for that than I had afterwards. There was the before I knew that she would have a couple dollars to go forward, and then there was the after I knew she would be decently cared for if I buy the farm. So that quit being an issue for me. Actually, my life got a lot better. I quit worrying about that. Oh, to say it like an old gospel song, when that old account was settled, I had peace that kept me going. Grace is wonderful. Romans 5's got some dense ideas that are wonderful that tell us that in Jesus Christ, God changed everything. And he invites everyone who will come to him. And since grace now reigns, we need to allow that to percolate in our spirit and change how we suffer and how we go through hard things and how we face grief, how we live, and yes, how we die. What a great Savior we have in Jesus Christ. Father, praise be to God that your grace is greater than all of our sin. And the word marvelous is not a stretch. It's exceedingly wonderful and right on the mark. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have brought us to in Jesus Christ. Help us live like what we know to be true is true. I pray in Jesus' name for your Spirit's help. Amen. Let's stand. Let's celebrate this marvelous grace.
Isn't grace one of the most lovely ideas you've ever heard of? All that we get in Jesus Christ, grace upon grace. I commend you to him for the privilege this week of living like these things are true and that he is such a great savior. Thank you for being here this morning. You are sent to such an adventure. God give you a great week.